This is the Wandering Berry Center podcast. I am your host, Brian. Over there, Sal. What's going on? So we were talking um, before the podcast. Um, I wanted to get started and record. So we used to comment on like health stuff way back at the start of this whole thing, right? Or at least yeah. our experiences, and mostly your experimenting, I think, uh, with keto mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, yeah. So in that vein, I was... Um, experimenting with not drinking alcohol at all mm-hmm. and found that my appetite um, was much more even and just more mm-hmm. predictable and overall better and other things are better too but then you had asked about was I ever going to drink again yeah. and, I, <laughs> and I said I don't know mm-hmm. um, and so we were just talking about that whole scenario so I was and then I was going to return and say that um, I did have those thoughts of like never drinking again. Yeah. And then I was presented with an opportunity where that, or not an opportunity situation. That sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, where I went out with some friends and, mm-hmm. you know, the not, not really pressure to drink from them necessarily, but you're in a social situation and all those good things. Right. Oh yeah, Totally. And I didn't That's... drink. Mm-hmm. And, um, did you have the worst time ever? Not the worst time ever, but not the best time ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was was difficult. You do kind of like alienate yourself in a little bit of a way. Yeah. If that's the type of situation you're in and that's, you know, kind of, I don't know. I feel like when this conversation comes up, people say, oh, well, it's not about that. But it kind of is when you go to a bar. Sometimes. (laughs) It kind of is about that. And this wasn't so. even, I mean, they had a bar. I mean, I don't know, what you, whatever, whatever you want to call this place, but they were also mm-hmm. a restaurant, right? They served great food, which was ultimately the reason we were there. Yeah. Was to get something to eat, but, you know, mm-hmm. still. It's a social it's a social thing, yeah. and a social habit, and it's kind of hard but to not the, partake. The benefits that I've noticed so far of just not drinking at all, mm-hmm. I mean, and from a health perspective, that is definitely oh there's no doubt it's the right thing to do (laughs) i went to from from a purely like physical health standpoint you know how they used to say um uh, maybe a beer a day or maybe not every day but you know a A little bit of alcohol was actually good for you wine in particular because it had other things in it red wine alcohol right right. yeah um so basically your, your net gain from like the antioxidants in the wine outweigh the negatives of the the alcohol i think is the argument right so i guess i kind of still had that in my head or whatever didn't really consider Mm -hmm. i went to the doctor for my regular checkup and she asked me you know how many drinks i had a week and so i told you know i said what i you know five at the time i think something like that Mm -hmm. and that i was i commented that i was thinking about stopping and she was like yeah if you could just get that to zero that would be great and i was just like really that's what she said yeah, she was just like, if you could never drink again, that would be perfect. Uh, <laughs> she didn't say it exactly like that. That's my own. Is that what she recommended, or was she yeah, just saying, yeah, like, that's yeah. an ideal situation? She didn't say five was too many, um, but she definitely commented, mm-hmm. you know, if I, both because I, I think I said that I was thinking about it. Yeah. But, yeah, she definitely jumped on it and was like, yeah, zero. They, we don't recommend any alcohol at all. No, I don't think it's ever going to be recommended. But 
I've also thought about it this way before, and I've not only with alcohol, but also it's come up into my mind when thinking about spending as much time in the gym as I do. Like, <laughs> there's a mental health aspect of it, too. So there's the physical side of things, but if you are denying yourself the fun of hanging out with your friends, and that's something that kind of, like, is a, a gatekeeper between you and doing what you want to do, then you're limiting yourself from doing that fun activity or some, or, or in the case of the gym, going so much that you don't do something else that might be beneficial to your well-being in some ways, right? Right. Um, so you got to kind of weigh, weigh everything, I think. So, Which I mean, days... I, it just all comes back to everything in moderation, probably. I think so. But <laughs> I don't know. The alcohol one is, is interesting. As I take a sip of Guinness Blonde. <laughs> it's awful. No, it's not true. It's really yummy. Um, but I wonder about the appetite thing because is it is it really changing the body's response or desire for food? Or is it a mental thing where, you know, because a lot of the times when you drink, you, you just get hungry. Like you want to eat stuff and you <laughs> lose a little bit of control, right? I get ravenous. Like Yeah. <laughs> you're like fuck everything this is yummy and i'm eating it and yeah so i'm wondering if there's like a physiological response in you know the digestive system or whatever going on there or if it's something else i would have to guess both mm-hmm. um because i was wondering well, if I, mm-hmm. go, go, after long enough maybe your body's like okay alcohol's not coming so i don't have to be ready for it mm-hmm. and i don't know if that I could be totally imagining things, but... Yeah. Well, I know when you... Uh, it's been shown that when you lose sleep, like, if you're sleep-deprived, your ability to, like, act- or accurately gauge your hunger levels and, like, your appetite totally changes, and it usually... Hmm. Being sleep-deprived actually leads people to eat more because they don't feel as full for whatever... I don't know the next-level deep science there, but um, you don't feel as full and you have less control over your appetite... Hmm. And generally speaking, of course. Okay, so, so it's similar. Well, and and there is uh, I read a article that, well, a long time ago, but when your liver is processing alcohol, so let's say you have a couple of beers and then go to mm-hmm. bed, you're not drunk or anything. You just mm-hmm. two or three. Mm-hmm. When your liver is most, especially when it's finished, is what they were claiming. But during the process, you get spikes of sugar in your uh, okay in yeah. your blood and apparently that can wake you up so whether it's uh the alcohol itself or the processing mm-hmm. or whatever it is it definitely interrupts your sleep when you drink oh dude i mean I've, I've noticed that myself um let's say you have one that probably isn't going to change much but if you have any more or me speaking for myself have any more than that um if I wear my watch to bed, I can see that my heart rate is, you know, let's say it's normally like 50 through the night. It'll be at like 62 to 65. So the heart rate's higher. Jeez, and and so the scary. amount of, yeah, and the movement during the night is way higher. I gotta get one. I'm, I'm not a very, I'm not a very still sleeper anyway. So maybe I'm, I'm not the greatest subject there, but um, it just the quality of sleep is, from looking at that type of data is definitely no, worse. Oh, yeah. Not to mention, you feel if you have enough, you you feel worse. And the next day, there's there's no denying that part, right? 
Yeah. So that kind of sets the course for your your day. So. So yeah, I don't know. It's uh sleep has also become I definitely said I, I was not at all opposed to missing sleep in the past, but these days <laughs> it's not not so much the same. <laughs> no. All right, let's uh let's get rolling. Um so I as so often read something and said, Oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> and then uh, you know, went from there. Uh, okay. Not so much an article in this case, but a story. Um, so ultimately, I would say two things. The human will to survive is, I guess, in, in part what we'll look at, um, mostly through stories of people surviving ridiculous, ridiculous circumstances. Damn, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, but also, some of these, imagine yourself, like, try to put yourself in these in the shoes of these people it's it's kind mm-hmm. of insane and then some of it is also some of these stories it's it's things happening to people where they really the moment of time in which they have to survive is quick versus some of the other stories where we're talking about surviving long periods of time and, and keeping oh, okay. up keeping up the will to live for mm-hmm. amazing amounts of time interesting okay yeah. I don't don't know if I've ever been in like a situation where my will to survive has been required. Completely tested. I've been been in like, you know, I don't want to say near death situations, but situations where out of bad luck, you know, certain scary things happen, but it was never a, I need to survive right now. Yeah. It was a, it was more of a, wow, glad I survived. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good way. Yeah. That's... (laughs) So we'll start. Uh, I I also uh, I practice a few of them. The, some the names of these people. I, I picked some difficult <laughs> names. Okay. So uh, you can uh, change them if you want. Uh, no, I'll do my best. Okay. Or maybe, you, maybe most of the last names I can do. So we'll go with that. All right. Um, so the first one is an old one. Marguerite de la Roque, R O C Q U E. It's a French name, and I'm sure I butchered the last name after having just said. It's good for me. But Marguerite is is easy mm-hmm. enough. So she's a French noble noblewoman who uh was left on an island. Uh sorry, fifteen she was born in fifteen fifteen. This happened in fifteen forty one. She she was on a ship to set out for um the New World, I suppose, at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this old shit sucks. <laughs> Okay. And for one reason or another, I suppose two main reasons or two competing theories or maybe a combination, the lieutenant general of the ship leaves her, who uh, probably was her lover, potentially on the ship, certainly after left on the island, and her handmaid. He leaves the three of them on an island in the middle of the ocean. Um, And he either left them on the island because... She got involved with uh, the younger man, and the general was jealous, I suppose. Mm-hmm. More likely, um, some form of like insurance, or somehow her death was going to benefit him. Benefited him. Yep. Yeah. Um, kind of an old thing, so not many people um, knew it was 
you know, didn't keep great records. We just have a little bit of the story, I suppose. But um, mm-hmm. he also was in, he was in debt. So, um, you know. Maybe he was going to collect her, her fortune back home. Yeah, maybe she had something on the ship that was valuable. Oh, yeah, that, that could was, be. That was my thought. Um, so he leaves them on the island. Um, and that was and, nice of him to at least leave them in, on land rather than like throwing her overboard or something. Yeah, that's a good point. What? <laughs> he gave her the, He gave her the chance. I mean, I'm not defending his actions necessarily, but you this, see what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. And <laughs> so I guess I'll say she, she makes it off the island and returns to France. Oh, shit. Yeah. And kills him? What? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, it's oh. actually super anticlimactic. Oh, bummer. He, okay. I think, well, he dies not long after. He died in, uh, his name is Robert Volpe. And he died, let's see, 19 years after leaving her on the island. And she outlived him by a bunch. Um, But no charges were ever... I mean, she, like, her story and everything, like, blew up. People went crazy about it in France. Um, But for some reason, no charges were... I mean, he was rich, or not rich, but he was powerful and and influential. He's a general. when did this happen? 1541 oh, in okay. France. Okay. Things were different then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so when she's on the island, uh, which is, I want to say, what was it, 14 months, something like that? No, a couple years, sorry. 14 months is from a Damn. different story. A couple years, I want to say three years. I don't know where my note is. But anyway, long time. Um, she ended up giving... Mm-hmm giving birth after getting pregnant on the island and still managed to survive that both the guy that got her pregnant the young lover and the handmaid they died pretty quickly after the baby was born baby unfortunately ends up also perishing and Mm. she lives out there hunting the animals and whatnot on the island for like another two two and a half years before getting rescued and what a boss going back to france and becoming um the head of a school where was the island did you say that um like how close in proximity to france like was somebody easily able to once they found out she was there go get her or was it like christopher columbus sailing across the ocean blue you know forever away and they just like stumbled upon her or something it was uh close to um uh well i guess we now call nova scotia so uh up north near canada so it was okay. on the other side, you know, away from Europe. So not necessarily completely remote as it relates to continental America, but mm-hmm. in terms of anybody that was going to know about her or try to come look for her, you know, anybody mm-hmm. who cared in Europe, you know, we're talking thousands, you know, I don't know exactly how many miles, but a lot. Mm-hmm. So for all intents and purposes, in the middle of nowhere, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, that's... Um, her. She real, I mean, she literally had nothing on this island. Yeah, no, they 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 left her with basically nothing. She had clothes. Um, there's a picture, a painting of her that depicts a rifle. She's holding a rifle, hmm. which begs goes back to your question: if if she had a rifle, well, or the guy's motivations for leaving her on the island rather than just 
killing her. If my tactic was to leave her on the island, somehow you have to get her off the boat. So nobody's going to go into a deserted island or an uninhabited island just with nothing. So if I were him, I would say, okay, let's, you know, pack up our gear. We're going to go explore this island. So she's got a gun and presumably other day supplies or whatever supplies for exploring. And then he manages to, you know, leave her behind or whatever. Hmm. I just don't think she would get off the boat with nothing. Yeah. Maybe. So that's probably why she... So, I mean, of course, whatever supplies she did have, bullets included, probably ran out pretty quickly, but... Yeah. That's probably where the gun came from. Or the painting was fake. <laughs> a, <laughs> just... uh... What do you want to call it? Like a dramatization of, of right, actual go. events mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's her story which is just i mean to be alone on an island with no nothing for two years do you think you would be able to do it how big was the island like did it have substantial animals or was she eating like crabs and fish and stuff the stuff that i found the the island itself is decent mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so definitely if she could have gotten small mammals, they, they were there to get. Yeah. Um, but I imagine fish were probably easier. Also, mm-hmm. not the warmest, uh, climate. That's a good point. She survived through at least one winter. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's a it, boss lady. Yeah, she, she did really well. Um, her death and, and place of death is unrecorded just to hmm. further comment on how poor record keeping was <laughs> so that's um that's marguerite is that the one that you learned about that got this whole thought going no no oh okay um that one is so ridiculous <laughs> I, I that's i couldn't believe it um so the next one is uh more uh, so her story is a bit she's got that long-term survival just like mm-hmm. the mental will required yep. to do that is really as you said earlier, and, and the skills yeah yeah <laughs> the willingness to kill and eat and i don't know if she made fire i'd have to assume she oh, did yeah i mean in that unless she like killed an elephant and lived inside its carcass over yeah. winter because <laughs> you got to get uh water um yep rainwater i don't know I guess she would have had snow in the winters. I don't know if it actually snows on the island, but anyway. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah sure. it's, there's a lot of things you got to do to not die. Sure. <laughs> um, so the next guy is in sort of the other camp of stuff happened to him, um, mm-hmm. and his survival is, is somewhat lucky, I suppose. Although, still, the perseverance. This guy lived a lot longer than the moment, so his perseverance after that is... Uh, really legendary in my opinion. So let's see if I can do this. Tsutomu Yamaguchi survived both nuclear bombs. What? <laughs> well, okay, wait. Yeah, not like... My, my first thing there is people not in the area also survived it, right? <laughs> yes. Was he there he, and survived it? He, for both <laughs> explosions, he was roughly three kilometers from the okay main center of uh you know the explosion wow okay how how does he survive that 
So the first one is like, I mean, the whole story is just incredible moment after incredible moment in terms of just like what the, the series of dots that got connected. Mm-hmm. So he lived in Nagasaki, which is actually mm-hmm. the second city. He was on a three month long work trip in Hiroshima. Okay. As he's getting ready to leave and go back to Nagasaki, this is August 6th, um, he forgets his passport, has to go back to the office. He is walking back to the docks uh, when, at 8.15 a.m. This thing goes off, and he's, like I said, he's roughly three kilometers uh, away from the blast, which was enough combined with, I think, his lower elevation because he's next to the water, Mm. Um, and if probably just who knows how many factors, you know, the bomb goes off three kilometers away and he ends up surviving. He's rubbed his, uh, left side was facing, uh, the explosion. So his left side, yeah. you know, his ear was destroyed. He was yeah. blinded pretty badly, or at least temporarily in the left eye. Um, and a bunch of radiation burns and, and all the terrible, but terrible no, things. no like special cover. He wasn't like able to jump in the water to save him. Like nothing like that. No, Just nothing straight like up that. survived the blast from that yep. close. Yeah. Um, which that, would, did other people around him? They did. Like, is that a normal area or normal distance to be able to survive? It's certainly not totally unremarkable that he survived at three kilometers, but mm-hmm. certainly plenty Plenty people of other people did right, right. Yeah, true. So okay. I think probably if I had, I'm totally speculating, but um, he was not around anything, it sounds like, or, or not around much. So like debris and whatnot was not really getting thrown mm, around. That's true, yeah. Which pr- might help. Um, so he... <laughs> He manages to crawl to a shelter and rested for the rest of the day. And he found people and, you know, people were recovering from this insane thing that just happened. He makes it back to Nagasaki uh, and gets treatment for some of his injuries and ends up August 9th, Monday, going to work in Nagasaki. <laughs> Bomb goes off on a what day? Uh, what was that? August 6th. So... Thursday or Friday, what the hell? Uh, three days before Monday, so Friday. <laughs> what? Okay, that's pretty remarkable. Okay, so that's, then that's some Japanese dedication to. I don't know. It's impressive. That's, okay, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. I wouldn't go to work probably. I'd fall out. So um, he is describing. He's up in the office, and he's. The story goes that he's in the middle of describing his ordeal to his boss and I assume a couple coworkers or whatever when the second one goes off again roughly three kilometers away. Um, in this case, he so this time he's up in an office building and the the building was stood basically everything. I'm, I'm sure glass mm-hmm. broke and everything, but ultimately mm-hmm. he, you know, didn't get thrown to the ground. I, sh- I guess I should have mentioned uh, in the first. His, his account of the first blast did include him getting, like, thrown around and knocked on his feet, you know, so he sure. definitely was yeah. impacted like, by the More event. violent. Yeah. yeah. In the building, not quite so much. So, after all this, um, he had to wear bandages and whatnot for a long time, but he ended up living to 93. Whoa. 
That's probably when did it die? Uh, 2010, 2010. And so, it's, oh, sorry. Damn, I was just gonna say three kilometers. That's what, like two miles? Uh, I think. Yeah, about right. Um, so if he's, <laughs> I don't know how how big these bombs are. Really, I don't have a good perspective on that. But two miles is not that far, right? No. No. But far enough. It's in that like, yeah. in that variable variable zone where, depending on your situation, mm-hmm. your surroundings, and whatnot. Right. Um, Damn. Yeah. So um, now his three children claimed um, that they suffered like health problems and stuff from because their parents had been irradiated. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this was before been... he had procreated. Well, no, no. So he. He got married and everything, or well, I mean, he didn't get married, but had children after all this. After it, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so, but the government said, or the research that they use, they they've said that um, the children of the bomb survivors didn't ex- exhibit any unnatural tendencies to have defects, but I don't know. Yeah, nothing unnatural for people who have been. <laughs> through two nuclear explosions not only that but you have to (laughs) think about or i I think about um where they potentially grew up because those zones those two cities you know Mm -hmm. have been irradiated right so yeah what's actually just side note what's the status of that now like i was just is there trace has it been long enough like i don't really know because Chernobyl, you still can't really safely go in there, right? Well, yes and no. I know people do, but you depends on how close you get. There are better places to live, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, as long as you don't, like, you know, the, the radiation, like, it's a weird substance. It actually can, like, seep into the ground. And mm-hmm. if you, like, don't disturb much, you know, it's fine. And also, if you stay away from the <laughs> hot zones, if you will where yep. the actual radioactive material is the fallout that is cut you know that did cover surrounding areas is not gone but i guess if you wanted to you could probably live there there are people there are people living there um but i i i, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah no i don't think i would like to take that risk but some people don't have the choice i'm sure Um, I'm looking, I just quickly tried to Google it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't know about any of those areas being evacuated at the moment. No. Plus, I mean, those bombs compared to the types of bombs and technology we would, you know, theoretically detonate today are very different. Here we go. I'm looking at a picture. Nagasaki is thriving today, I would say, based on that <laughs> yeah. picture. Which is interesting, because I guess that answers the question. Yeah, like the, the conditions of the ground and everything must be fine. That's wild. Although maybe if everybody has radiation poisoning, nobody has radiation poisoning. <laughs> it just is. It is what it is. So the next one is... Uh, so, as you might imagine, there's going to be some stories with uh, 
that people take issue with, mostly because I don't believe you would be the <laughs> main the main argument. So there's this guy, he's still alive today. Um Frain, I think it's Frain, Selak. He's a Chechen national. Um and he has escaped death one way or the other. Now this guy is made like tailor made for clickbait journalism. Because I saw I found this guy after the other article. And sure enough, the headline read, you know, this guy died or almost died seven different times. And then as I got into the article, I was like, well, I don't know about some of these. Mm. So and then also there's there's not a lot of uh, real good ways to validate his story. And his most intense one has got some issues, too. So anyway, but he's still alive. And I don't know. I I try actually dug. I tried to find out. I tried to dig as deep as. I could, you know, being an amateur. Um, and I don't know. You have to make it up for yourself, I suppose. Okay. I'll, I'll see if I believe it. 1962, he, January 1962, he is uh, riding on a train and the train flips off the track and into a river. Um, and he certainly wasn't the only survivor, but plenty of yep. people died. So he survives a train falling off the tracks, and I didn't, I couldn't find exactly how far, but I have mm-hmm. to imagine some distance, you know, down. I don't know exactly how much, but so that you should at least be able to see if that train wreck actually happened, right? Right. Although keep that keep that thought. Um, so this he definitely did, uh, or at least mm-hmm. as best as people can tell, the the, the accident did happen. So. You know, right off the bat, fairly remarkable just from surviving once, right? Mm-hmm. Let alone uh, seven. Yeah, I so have the next... not survived a plane crash or a um, train crash. So. Funny you mentioned plane crashes. One year later, his uh, first and only plane ride, he gets sucked out of a malfunctioning door and lands in a haystack. Completely fine. The plane crash Come on. kills 19 people. Now... What what year? So this would have been sixty eight. Sixty three. Sixty three. So were there pressurized cabins? Because that's the Definitely. only way that can happen, right? Oh, uh, yes, that is correct. Because a, a bungee jump or a bungee jump, a skydiving plane or like a biplane, all those things don't have pressurized cabins. It's not like you get sucked out when you open the door. That's a great point. I think that's only with a pressurized plane. So that, that can f- actually happen. A few places that I read on um, this part of things. There isn't a record of the crash. But. And he just falls free fall out of the sky into a haystack? Yep. And it's fine. It's fine. Now, there are (laughs) documented cases of that happening, though. Not a lot of them. Like, I think less Mm -hmm. than double digits. But uh, people have fallen from as high as 30,000 feet. I mean, I don't know what terminal velocity, height, and speed like and everything of a human is, but I think it's like you're good at, at yeah, by a hundred by thirty thousand feet, you're going as fast as you're gonna go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the human I think I think it's like hundred and twenty. Obviously if you're planning. That's like flat on your back or stomach yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um I just Googled cabin pressure just to see if a date... That just seems... I mean, the odds of A, getting sucked out of the plane, if that happened, okay, even if you just, like, fell out by some reason. 
after all of that distance falling, you land on a haystack? Was this like the biggest haystack ever? Or <laughs> what are these odds? <laughs> In yeah, Amazingly small. I mean, yeah, amazingly small. I guess totally possible, right? But So in the span of a year, he survives two major modes of transportation. Oh, yeah, trying you should to stay him. away from public transport. Well, he doesn't. Three years later, he's... <laughs> You're nailing these. <laughs> um, Taxi this time or boat? A bus. A bus. Son of a bitch. Skid- okay. <laughs> skids off the road for <laughs> into another river. And four people drown and he doesn't. Okay, this guy, if, if I were him, I would get home. I would kick off my shoes, <laughs> pour a beverage, and just probably keep it on lockdown in my house for a while (laughs) like maybe not leave (laughs) or just not even mad wouldn't even walk because you know what things can happen i would just sit the the bus crash appears to have happened so we'll give him that one the next one is is his weakest one in my opinion Mm. Uh, with nobody else around his car catches fire and he escapes before his uh russian car explodes the Russians have made some, you know, less than sturdy vehicles in the past. It's like they took the but Pinto any and were just, just like, ooh. <laughs> Let's benchmark this. So, <laughs> um, so that's his, that so, happened in 1970. Yeah, so nobody was really around, right. like, at this point, let's say the first three are true. He's just. Right, it's been three so far. Right, yeah, first three. Yeah. Let's say those three are true. All of a sudden, you're starting to become known as the guy who, like, survives this crazy shit. You got to keep that going. Yeah. Man, it's you're, to you're go to picking up every single cue. He keeps it going. Three years <laughs> later, same same type of story. He, he now adds a little more detail. Somehow, I, I found it confusing. They said a, a couple articles specifically stated a fuel pump put oil all over the engine of the car like sprang a leak and that caught fire and exploded um so i i could see an oil pump doing that i guess if it was mounted very poorly right or like a diesel engine and it had like oh i didn't think about diesel well i mean it's still not really that wouldn't happen um so okay so just another car fire but another car fire a little more specific on to, to how. So those first couple, or first five, we went 1962, 63, 66, 70, and then 73. Mm-hmm. So 11 years of dodge and death. He, you know, <laughs> once every two years, basically, if you were to map it out. And is that, it? Is that the last? No, no, no. We got two more. Oh, and, okay. and then this all ends with just, it's you insane. Said this guy's still alive, right? This guy's still alive. So all I wrote for so from 1973 till 1995, he uh, he stopped pissing something off and manages to go quiet for you know almost two decades or no I'm sorry over two maybe that was the time he just sat in his house (laughs) yeah it's all real and he was just like all right whoa something's something's not my car has exploded twice yeah let's wait until cars get better before I go anywhere. (laughs) <laughs> maybe that yeah 
all in all, actually everything. He was just like, okay, clearly public and private forms of transportation are bullshit. I am not leaving. Maybe I should try helicopters. Oh, he would have definitely <laughs> died if he definitely had done that. Would have died <laughs> definitely. If you have bad luck, do never get into a helicopter ever. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so all I wrote down for 1995, because this is basically all there was, uh, he was struck by a bus and had minor injuries. So I don't know if he, there were no details as far as like, did he just get grazed or did he get full, you know, full on, (laughs) full on smacked. (laughs) Um, he's probably an old man at that point. Yeah. I didn't grab his birth, but yeah, he's definitely in his fifties. I would say. Because he's like 80-something right now. Mm-hmm. Um, probably late 50s by this point. So his final one is his most dramatic, which almost like makes me believe almost him less. Almost actually kills him? Yeah. Oh. It okay. makes me believe like him too, less, I guess. It's too, too extravagant. It's pretty extravagant. Um, okay. One year later, after getting struck by a bus, he's on a narrow mountain road driving a car. Like, stop. Yeah, don't do that. And uh, avoids a head-on collision with allegedly a United Nations bus by swerving to the outside to towards the cliff, which did have a guardrail, which manages to slow him down, but ultimately fails. He's ejected by that impact. The car Mm -hmm. plummets 300 feet while he manages to apparently grab, fly into a tree and manages to hang on to the tree. What? Come on. I mean, all of these things on their own. You could believe. I guess I'm okay with, right? But why is it happening to this guy so much? Well, here's <laughs> here's the kicker. Here may be the answer. Uh, I don't know if it was worth it, though. Uh, 2003, he wins $1.1 million in the in, uh, U.S. In, the, in a lottery. Really? Yep. What's going on here, man? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't this ridiculous? Yeah, it is ridiculous. Like, just the odds that are forming this guy's life are incredible. Just don't seem don't seem possible. Well, it is possible, but it doesn't seem likely enough that. I'm ready for it. <laughs> he was on his. I'll, I'll add whether take it take it as you will. I suppose uh, when the uh, by the time he gets uh, the lottery, he is marrying for the fifth time. Yeah, because all all the other <laughs> ones were in those vehicles with him and didn't survive. <laughs> um, now I went I went fairly quickly through it. Some of them, like you know, people. I think some at you're right like some of the wives did corroborate at certain points and so ultimately this guy's story to close him off is or to sum up his section i suppose uh mm-hmm. is supported enough to where okay you know that people some people believe him but there, certainly the odds would say no way Especially, I mean, I, what is what does he have to gain? If we look at this as like a conspiracy, what's he had to, to gain from it? Fame, yeah. And then more, and in the ones where it was like his car bursting, I guess you could say maybe he'd be after like insurance claims or something, right? Maybe, 
or it's just the, the, the best, public ones, the best bar story ever told. <laughs> Which, not to be stereotypical, but you know, I'm sure he spent a, a number of time, uh, a number of hours in bars. That I would if I got ejected from a train, fell out of a plane, uh, fell out of a plane, sucked out of a plane, hit by a bus, and yeah. been in a bus that's. Uh, not necessarily hit somebody else, but uh, lost control. <laughs> yeah, the buses are not for him. No. Where but, does he live now? Uh, he's, in the U.S.? No, no, no. He's in, uh, I think he's still in Chechnya. Hmm. And I wrote down, I believe, oh, he's 89. Get to be a U.S. citizen to win the U.S. lottery? Uh, I gave I gave you the amount in U.S. dollars. It was not, he was not paid out in U.S. Oh, dollars. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Um, Maybe they were just like, all right, we're going to give you this lottery money if you just stop making all this crap. Well, if if you're a a believer of (laughs) karma, I mean, god damn. (laughs) It doesn't seem like enough. That's what I I was thinking. I don't know if 1.1 Give the man man 10 million. Because by this point, he's at least... uh, So 2003, that would be 40 years since his first incident. So let's say he's at least, I don't know. I didn't record exactly how old he was in 1962, but I got to assume he's yep. at least 60 by 2003. So he gets 1.1 million after 40 years of dipping and dodging. <laughs> and being struck. Right. <laughs> I suppose failing to dip and dodge is maybe yeah. more appropriate. Um, all right. So let's see here. I don't want to. I still got the big one. I, I got too many. Okay, I'm gonna uh, pop a uh, seltzer can while you're searching. Right on. Um, what do you want to hear about? Well, okay, let's do this guy. This one is just it's it's unfortunate, and and the guy's perseverance uh, to go on after is again remarkable. So he definitely mm-hmm. falls into maybe a third category. You've got people who got to survive in the moment. You got people mm-hmm. who need to survive in the moment, but that moment is incredibly long. And then you've got people where they have to survive the moment, but they also have to endure the lasting effects of that moment. Um, mm-hmm. So this guy's definitely in that in that last one. Um, so uh, Anatoly uh, Bergarsky. Uh, actually, that went well. Um, wait, 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 wait. Say it again. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Anatoly Bergarsky. Yeah, all right. And uh, he was a researcher, very smart gentleman, uh, for the Institute of High Energy Physics. Um, This is in Soviet Russia. Hmm. Um, And he's working on the Soviet version of, well, not the Soviet version, I suppose, arguably, it's our version of their, they they had a particle accelerator way back in the 70s. Hmm. So he's working on that. Um, It's called the... U-70 Synchrotron. Pretty badass name. Yeah, not bad. So, the 13th of July, 1978, he's checking a malfunctioning piece of equipment when Mm -hmm. safety... uh, I couldn't really get too much detail, but when certain safety mechanisms failed, and somehow the machine ultimately activates. And he ends up leaning over the equipment and into a, I don't even know what this means really, but a 76 GeV proton beam. Oh my God. 
I don't know what that means either, but sounds. I don't awful. want to be in any level of GB proton beam ever. No. Right? Whether it's a level four or... or 76. 76. <laughs> <laughs> no proton so beams. So he said he saw a flash brighter than a thousand suns, is the quote, <laughs> but did okay. not feel any pain. So the left half of his face um, mm. swelled up be- like beyond recognition, and, and if you're so inclined, uh, there there's pictures, and you know this was in you know in the '70s, so this this no doubt happened, and there's pictures and everything. How um, do I spell his name? Anatoly A N A T O L I mm-hmm. Bergorsky B U G O R S K I. Mm. Yep. Um, okay, keep going. I'm just gonna look at yeah, yeah. So it swells up and, and the skin, you know, he got a really bad burn, essentially, a radiation burn. So the skin peels and, and um, ultimately they can kind of see the path of the proton beam uh, that had burned through parts of his face. But the nature of these particles is that this beam actually basically goes through him. It doesn't hit him. It goes through him as oh, it would yeah, any. I'm looking at this. It's like a straight line starting kind of like. If you're looking at him, the right side of his nose, well, his left side of his nose, and like through the back near his ear. Yeah. Which would go through the brain, by the way, I think. Yes, or at least hit the bottom of it. Very close to it, yeah. So in terms of just like raw radiation uh, like statistics, he was exposed to the amount of radiation that should kill so quickly. Like the fact that he lived, um, I did shoot. I put it at the bottom. Uh, I think he might actually still be alive because I have stuff as close as 1966 on him. Um, you know, the managed, the fact that he managed to survive and continue after being shot in the face by radiation, basically, um, is so incredible. Would, would this type of thing leave like a, a hole in his face, like a, being shot with a gun, or is it no mark and just like passes through and you wouldn't know otherwise i think at first other than the skin it well i have to imagine like so if his skin and everything is swelling so is parts of his brain and and so i imagine you know lots of swelling and and that sort of thing but ultimately did it like tear away tissue or anything like that i don't Mm -hmm. on a macro level from the picture i saw right right on a macro level i don't think so maybe at the molecular but um so his his intelligence, like his actual raw intelligence, did not suffer. However, his ability to his uh, his level of fatigue that he could endure dropped significantly. So he managed to complete his PhD and live to, relatively speaking, a, a good life and, and all those things. Yeah. But like his like mental uh, mental capacity for, or not or not capacity will to endure at least intense amounts of work, I suppose, mm-hmm. was, was definitely diminished. But he was still just as intelligent as he was, you know, the day before. Yeah, I would say that that's the best part. It's amazing. So far. <laughs> I was shot through the brain, through the face, with a laser beam. What happened to you? <laughs> Left on an island for two years? <laughs> Fell out of a plane? Decent, decent. Yeah. But... <laughs> Um, some, I don't know, some of the pictures and whatnot, his, the, the side of the face that got hit, 
did not age in the same way that... Ooh, that's weird. Yeah. Like, from a certain perspective, it, it aged less. I don't know if... if oh, if, yeah. I don't know okay, if I'm less looking is at the right... It's like... Well, it, it almost looks like the skin is tighter on that side of it. Like, it right. just didn't sag as much as, a, you know, you would expect for a person as they age. The skin gets right looser, right? And it looks like that side of his face is just not as much... But other than that, like, if you showed me this picture of this guy, I wouldn't say, before this conversation, I wouldn't say that guy was shot with a proton laser. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's a dude. So, yeah, that's... Um, that's that's sweet. Intense. Well, I shouldn't say it's sweet, but that's cool. It's good that he survived. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll do... Go ahead, sorry. No, that... It's good. We'll do uh, two quick ones here. They're incredible stories, but I kind of, I kind of overprepared. Um, oh wait, no, there's no silver. All right, we'll do three quick ones. <laughs> so there's a story of these two climbers, Simon Yates and Joe Simpson. 1985, okay. they attempted to climb the west face of a mountain in the Peruvian Andes Mountains. Nobody had climbed the west face of the mountain before. Other people had gone up other sides of it, but not that side. Okay. Presumably because either it's maybe the most remote or the most dangerous or both. Um, they make it up just fine. Steepest. Uh, yeah, maybe or the steepest. Yeah, yeah. They make it uh, up the mountain just fine. On the way down, Joe Simpson falls. Uh, presumably breaks his ankle and his leg. Simon Yates ends up and together, obviously with him, they create this like makeshift uh, rope system and uses backpack and everything. And he tries to, like, pull his system, his buddy down, right? Oh, wow. Down the mountain. So he really tries. But eventually they get to this spot that, I, for whatever reason they had to do it, he lowers him down 50 feet hmm. down over a, a ledge. Uh, and I don't know if... I, I, I couldn't find the detail. I don't know if... Um, actually, I spoke well, actually. Didn't watch. There's a whole documentary on this. Uh which I guess if I sat down and watched a documentary, maybe I would get the answer to this. But anyway, one reason or other, the, the 50 feet wasn't working anymore, and or not working anymore, the uh, the guy up top, Simon, started getting mm-hmm. pulled down. Oh, okay. And so he cuts the rope. And Joe Simpson, hanging 50 feet in the air, falls um, mm-hmm. another 50 or so feet, I think. That, that seemed to be... A little hard to determine, um, but falls enough that like you know wasn't necessarily expected to survive. He does survive. Hmm. Um, so Simon cuts the rope and and had to cut the rope and whatever and, and goes back and and makes it back to base camp. Four days go by and Joe Simpson with like tons of broken bones manages to crawl back to base camp, and Damn. Simon is there. So Wait, why did two... Simon didn't try to go back? He thought he was dead? He thought he was dead. Oh. Um, he didn't check? Maybe it's that deep. I don't know. I guess I should have watched the documentary. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't want to put that much effort into I, just yeah, one no, of these. But... Just one of them. Um, but, yeah. So I really thought he was dead. Yeah, he did. Um, and the interesting part about this is people so they made it there's information out there and whatnot and you know this is 85 so not that long ago 
um, Joe Simpson, the guy that fell, ended up saying he did the right thing. He did, mm. you know, he never, he didn't uh, fault him for yeah. the situation. Plenty of other people did on his behalf oh, yeah. and, and got can, all aggro about yeah. Simon cutting the rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Were they there, though? Probably not. No. So, so uh, then they went on to live, you know, they continued climbing and those guys, that's maybe, maybe a fourth bucket. They continued to climb. Like this guy falls a ton, breaks a ton of shit, has to crawl back to base camp. And then a couple yeah, years later is that's like, pretty badass. let's keep going. Yeah. Good for them. Um, similar outcome in that the person goes back to the sport not too long ago. This is one of the uh, Iwa Winerska is a female paraglider who in 2007, despite like everybody else, except for one of the guy who did die, um, despite everybody saying, boy, that weather looks terrible, better not go out. Mm -hmm. She decides to go out. There's a big competition coming up and she wants to train. She ends up getting taken by this storm and risen to uh, pulled up in her paraglider to 32,000 feet. Oh shit. That's, that's cruising altitude for jets. (laughs) Um, yeah, her, uh, her ascent at times was, uh, 20 meters per second was the acceleration. Hmm. So she's climbing at 20 meters per second at certain points. She had a GPS on her. So there's, Okay. This absolutely happened. There's all the data you could when want When was this it. one? 2007. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we have accurate numbers. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. uh, 48 miles an hour per second. Or, well, is the speed that she's going up. Okay. At certain points. Mm-hmm. The whole ordeal lasted three and a half hours. She landed 37 miles away from her starting position. The way that's that... actually she- not as much as I would expect. Yeah, it's not too bad. But, I mean, for... Uh, Actually, her her rise and descent must have been pretty sharp. Right? I mean, you can travel yeah. pretty good distance yeah. at that's true. You know, but I'm actually thousand feet by the time you make it back down. There's a place near me that I go to fairly frequently um, that is just about sixty miles away, so I can kind of actually visualize how far forty mm-hmm. miles might be. That yeah. isn't that isn't too far, I guess, if you're at, up at jetliner heights. Well, up that far, yeah. <laughs> Um, so she goes through the, the ringer, like fro you know, once you get to a certain point, oxygen is decreasing the temperature. Oh, that's true. The temperature wrote, recorded down to negative 32 Fahrenheit. Oh, fuck. She is Damn. basically the only reason that she survived. Um, or at least the believed reason, because as I said, there was another guy that took off as well. His body mm-hmm. was found 50 miles away and he did not survive. Um, oh, he made he went through the same presumably. situation. Yeah, presumably. Yeah. Um, his body appeared, though, to have been actually struck by lightning. Oh, yeah. Fuck. She did not get struck, which probably helped a bunch. Um, she also <laughs> <laughs> she also passed out for about an hour, and it's, that, probably, that probably helped a bunch. Well, that's that's the thought is that her heart rate must have dropped, and she was able to survive literally being frozen. Yeah. Damn. So she. I could, mean, yeah. how long? I wonder how long she was at that temperature because you could survive it. That temperature is not like 
I mean, that's freaking cold, but that's not gonna, you know, it yeah. was negative 50 in Wisconsin this winter. Yeah. No, you know you're, I mean? you're right. And I think if I had to guess, so the whole thing... I'm not downplaying it, but I'm just saying, right. like, it, it does make sense, obviously. The whole thing the lasted light, three and a half hours, so maybe she was in very cold conditions for two of those hours, which is... Yeah, that's a long time. That's a long time. Um... So yeah, they think about an hour is how far she was out because that's basically she, according to her GPS data, you can see when she crossed twenty thousand feet, which is I guess roughly the point that you you would start passing out. So based on how long she was above twenty thousand feet, which appears to have been about an hour. So actually, well, I don't know how cold twenty thousand is. Probably not. Probably not warm. No, I don't think so. Um, and then she does recall running into hailstones, quote, the size of oranges. Yes. Which, running into them. Yeah. Just like floating in the clouds. Yeah, basically. That's messed up. <laughs> That's not something humans supposed to <laughs> no. experience. We're not designed for that. So, yeah, that's her story. She continued to paraglide after that. Nice. Good. Um, and I'll just reiterate that. Although that does make me a little hypocritical because I was about the guy who was in all those public transportation accidents who told him not to not to travel anymore. Yeah, and I suppose that guy, that stuff happened to him. This woman, mm-hmm. all, by all accounts, I was going to reiterate at the end here, everybody was like, no, you're crazy. Do not go out. And they, Oh, you know, that's true. She subjected herself to some... Basically. Some unideal conditions yeah. from the get-go. Um, okay, so last two here will go. Um, the guy that got me onto this whole thing was a man named Jacob mm-hmm. Miller. And he was a Union soldier in the Civil War. And on September 19th, 1863, the Battle of Chickamauga happened, which actually mm-hmm. was the most significant Union defeat in the Western mm-hmm. theater. Interesting. Never he even heard of it. Gets shot in the forehead and lives. Hmm. There's a picture of him, and uh, he has a hole in his head. <laughs> it's insane. But not only that, he was left to die like two or three times. So he gets shot in the head and falls and is unconscious and is left on the battlefield, which kind of makes plenty of sense. Um,. Yeah. He then wakes up, I think, like the next day or so, uh, and gets up and walks back to his, a couple of miles back to Union Camp. He. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, people it's were hardy back then. What's that? I said people were hardy back then. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I don't know if I'd get survived being shot in the head. Um, so I, he gets. My best guess is no. Probably not. Um, he gets back to camp and, uh, they ultimately put him into the, they look at his wound and they decide not to operate and they put him into the, there's kind of three in, at this time in military triage, which is the Mm -hmm. treatment of wounded soldiers. There's basically three categories. The worst one being make him comfortable, but he's going to die. Right. He's put into that category. So we're not going to do anything. Just give him food or something and, and good luck hope hope for the best yeah 
the Union soldiers decide it's they got to leave, and since he's in this uh, particular category, they leave him behind. He says, mm-hmm. fuck that, and <laughs> gets up and uh, starts walking. And he passes out a few times, and he's walking, and he's he's doing this himself. And some somebody finally has pity on the guy and puts him in <laughs> a wagon. It's insane, dude. Oh, like, there was wagons, like yeah. Could've... Okay, but unfortunately, I'll talk about everybody else's part. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, though the uh, the bumpiness, lack of uh, spring suspension on said wagons. It was mm-hmm. super painful to be in the wagon for him because mm-hmm. the metal... Not really an improvement. The metal is still in his head. Right. Um, it's bouncing around in his head. Yeah. So a couple pieces had... It's kind of gross, but a couple pieces had fallen out by this point, mm-hmm. but not the major piece. Yeah. Um, so he ends up walking. He gets out of the wagon and walks 60 miles. Whoa. And ends up living, I think, 54 years after being shot. Holy, no way. Way. With the bullet in his head? So he gets to Nashville, and they take the major piece out. But over the next 54 years, a couple of pieces do, like, grow out of his head. (laughs) Oh, my God. Fucking insane. So, how he survived the theory... Musket balls, musket balls slow down dramatically after like a hundred yards. Okay, he must so have just far enough just away. Just far, right, right. But still, it it if it was in his head and, and it went through the forehead, it it was in his brain. It went through the skull, correct? Front frontal lobe, yeah. Or at least was lodged in the skull. Yeah, at the very least. At the very least. And so, as you might imagine, he suffered. For those, you know, daily, he said yeah, he, was, he said he was yeah. in constant pain. It was terrible, really. Did it affect his cognitive abilities at all? As best as I say. could tell, not 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 really. Yeah, he seemed to lead a fairly normal life, I suppose, but definitely in a lot of pain and yeah, you know, suffered a lot. That's crazy. Okay, last one here, um, and by far, in my opinion craziest one but i'm also heavily biased towards space stuff so <laughs> um you like that here yeah we do boris volyanov was a russian <laughs> cosmonaut a lot of also, russian, I wanted, russian guys in this i wanted to point out yeah the russians are a resilient people and people with russian not even russian blood i don't know what you want to call that that type but um there's definitely evidence for people that live in difficult conditions. They definitely build up resistance. Oh yeah, and, resistance and, yeah. to struggle. There, there's whole theories on how the Mongols, you know, because they lived in in the Chinese steppe and the Middle Eastern steppe, which is also these days part of Russia, because mm-hmm. they lived in such harsh conditions, they were incredible warriors, and that right. history would, or I'm sorry, uh, events would support those claims. Anyway, mm-hmm. so this guy is a cosmonaut, an astronaut in our language, I suppose. Um, and during the Soyuz 5 mission, he's bringing two cosmonauts up to another ship, and they dock in orbit, which I didn't know was happening in uh, the 60s or early 70s. 
um, that they were actually, yeah. you know, meeting up in orbit. So he, uh, the two guys go from his ship to the other ship, and he engages the the decoupler, right? Presses a button or whatever, and he's supposed to detach mm-hmm. from the from the ship. That fails yeah. a bit, and part of the piece that was supposed to come off actually stays on his ship. Okay. Uh, so his his basically his his craft is now got more weight and like more structure on it than it was supposed to. And he starts to re-enter because he doesn't really have a choice. He doesn't have, you know, tons of fuel or anything. The plan was to re-enter after decoupling. So mm-hmm. he's kind of has to. And this extra piece ends up such that the six inches of ceramic and, and heat resistant material that was on the front of the ship is now facing backwards and one inch of material is now facing forward including his like hatch his door are now Mm -hmm. facing his forward direction of travel into the atmosphere rather than (laughs) the other side the yeah right this is terrifying this is terrifying because he's yeah (laughs) that's not designed to withstand that from that angle and does it have a does this hatch have a window i i couldn't figure it out uh actually not Probably, well, uh, I, I won't look it up. I, I, I have to imagine Let's he had some Let's pretend it does, because that would be more scary. Windows. Yes, way more scary. So <laughs> this guy is, I mean, at this point, he's trying things and... Mm. Sorry, take a sip. Um, he's trying things and, and doing what he can, but ultimately what ends up saving him is... Uh, the piece is not designed the piece the extra piece is weak and ultimately not designed for this and it manages to burn off and break and that means that now apparently the, it was auto stabilizers which again this is we're talking early 70s here i didn't realize they had this technology pretty sweet so the ship is able to write itself even with all the air resistance that's passing over it and by all accounts it was remarkable that the ship even lasted until this point because uh, like his hatch right itself is and turn itself around turned itself around the right direction yep. oh yep. man okay so now now the right part of it is uh going mm-hmm. forward so he wow. ends up surviving the main part of re-entry which is mm-hmm. just incredible his yeah not many not many times when something goes wrong in space do you is it a happy ending no it's it usually way. certain death <laughs> <laughs> So that's remarkable. Uh, he's falling, and shockingly, his parachute and r- soft rocket landing system—you know, little little rockets that are supposed to fire yeah. and slow him down—those had uh, broken. So mm. the rockets don't work at all. The parachute manages to deploy, uh, but he hits the ground super hard and way off oh, course. Oh god! He hits the ground in the. Was he supposed to land in the ocean? Uh, yes, definitely. Probably right. Um, yeah. Or no, uh, no. Kazakhstan was his, which I don't think they have an ocean. That's a great question. That must have been uh, why he had the rockets. Maybe they have uh, one of those giant seas that's over there in like the Middle East and stuff. That's a great. I didn't even think about that. That's a great question. Okay, nope. Kazakhstan does have access to the ocean, the Caspian Sea, which would yeah, be big enough. Yeah, to... that's what I was thinking. Of. Okay. Yeah, you could definitely land in that. Yep. Good question though. So he ends up landing in the mountains. It's super cold. It's like negative 38 degrees Fahrenheit. Jesus. 
he, he just slammed into the earth. Slams into the earth, breaks a ton of teeth. I think has a broken leg. He's he gets oh, fucked that sounds up. Sounds horrible. Manages to get out and walk to um, a peasant's house. Uh, I wanted to say three kilometers away. Shit. Excuse me. I just fell from space. <laughs> and I'm lost. So, could you help? Uh, just several, several kilometers is all, all I have written down. Okay, so. enough. So, here's the most insane thing of all. He goes into space again seven years yes. later. Yes. Talk about facing your fears. I... That is... Because as you... So as basically, you... anytime you're feeling like a... Kind of like a little bitch or something, just think of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you brought it up, and, and it's so important to, to note the that when things go wrong in space, it is... Uh, usually catastrophic. It's usually catastrophic. So to take that risk again, after mm-hmm. seeing what can happen, is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Especially after learning about the first guy where apparently odds don't matter <laughs> it could very well have just happened again <laughs> yeah i wonder I'm if sure uh, he knew that guy well that's right because this would have happened in or the 70s and the first right and it happened after by 1973 frame had one two mm-hmm. three had five incidents <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he was aware of that probably maybe all right that's enough. Uh, that's hilarious. That's enough on uh, crazy people surviving crazy things. Okay, so this is actually a little tough. Um, but the way I'm going to connect it is my question would be after having gone through a situation like this, and we'll take your last guy there, the guy who literally fell out of space. Boris. Is he, yeah, Boris, is he the same person he was at the beginning you know having gone through that experience would you say he is the same human being um on the other side of that incident um Um, i'm gonna say you can answer you can answer yeah yeah. and i'll I'll go with uh i don't know if that was that a rhetorical question no no i'm gonna ask you two questions my topic is two questions that are along those lines okay um, I'm going to say yes, because he went into space again, and I can't imagine, I can't imagine a person who prior to that accident, mm-hmm. obviously they would never, never have thought of this, but the type of person that would experience something and then do it again, they are, mm-hmm. they are that person before that first experience, I have to imagine. Nobody's going to have the experience of almost dying in space, and that experience being the thing that makes them go, oh yeah, I want to go into space again. Because that was so fun. That's true. There is something that, that carried over. That's There's point. something in them where they were already, mm-hmm. this guy was already such a badass that he, mm-hmm. he was just like, yeah, nice. that happened, but. I like that answer. Um, okay, so this is a little bit of a philosophical uh, topic, I guess, um, and definitely going to be open-ended. So I, there are two questions that are along the same lines, which I mentioned. Um, and I've had them sitting in my, which is like a lot of topics, sitting there for a while. And so I finally decided to address them. Um, and we can go in any order you want. So, um, okay. 
so my first one, and this is the one that I initially wrote down, is basically where do you draw the line between something that is natural and something that's man-made? So, like, when you're talking Ooh. about materials or Ooh. a food item or anything, when do, you, when do you label something as natural and when do you say, no, that's like a synthetic or a man-made thing? Fascinating question. And so, and then my other question, which is along those lines, and this is one that just being into cars, I've argued with many other car people and it, oh. it, it has greater... Um, you know, significance, extrapolation in significance, I think. Um, and you can apply it to other things, but if you're restoring an old yeah, object, yeah. at what point have you replaced so much of that object that it is not the original thing anymore? And it's now something new or different. So those are my two questions and we can, we can tackle them in any order you want. Um, I tried to just write down some examples, you know, and, and to, to walk us through a little bit, but, um, Maybe we can start with the first one, the natural versus man-made. Yeah, um, I guess I could try to answer it. I do have a gut answer, like a, just a straight logical answer, yeah. but I'm not yeah, entirely satisfied with it. So I suppose the moment that a human interacts with something and processes it, it becomes man-made, I guess is my immediate that's, like... So that, no, that's actually something I wrote down while I was fleshing this idea yeah. out on paper. Um, that's, and that actually led me to think that maybe man-made isn't the right term. It should actually just be human influenced. Yeah, totally. Is the right term. Totally. Um, the second we touch it, uh, you could put that label on it. But I think man-made, I think you might even actually have both things. There might be mm -hmm. a few things that like, I'm thinking of plastic. Is plastic man-made yeah. or man-influenced? So... Okay, so where this is all coming from, in my mind, at the root of this question, um, is you go down, you start breaking things down and looking deeper and deeper. We only have the things around us to work with, yeah, right? Totally. At, a, at a molecular the, level. The floor of our things. understanding. Right. And everything, whether no matter how much we manipulate it, has at least started from those basic elements, right? So... If you break it down far enough, in my opinion, you could make the argument that everything's natural. Totally. Things are manipulated, but everything's natural in that sense, right? So, um, so man-made is not the right term. And I think, I, yeah, I think you're I don't right. think so. I think you're right, yeah. But let's, let's start by saying there's certain things that I bet you you and I can agree on right now that would 100%, we wouldn't argue, are natural. Things like wood, water apples on a tree, corn on a stalk, right? Those things can totally exist mm -hmm. on earth if we weren't here and never were here. Totally. So those things happen without, right? Those are natural. And in the case of then, water, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and then going um, to the other extreme, these things I would argue, whether you use the word man-made or synthetic or uh, human-influenced plastics, um, and I just came up with random examples. Synthetic motor oil mm. is an interesting one. Uh, Oreos, <laughs> and waffle crisp. <laughs> so, and the reason I, I tried to include some food and some materials, because those foods, yeah, you know, they start maybe as corn, but obviously there's no 
Oreo tree or whatever, or waffle crisp tree. Are you telling me waffle, um, crisps, waffle crisp isn't made of waffles? I, what? Probably not. Damn. It's all about those HFCs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so at their core, right, You they've somebody has started with some... Like wheat or corn or yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's a natural thing, totally. but you've added to it and, and processed it to the point where it's now something completely different um yeah and and in the case of um actually plastic or motor oil when you've brought up water which is a natural thing and then you've got motor Mm -hmm. oil and uh, also plastics let's say Mm -hmm. i was thinking that water is a really great one because uh h2o is all water is molecularly that's all it is Mm -hmm. Motor oil, I don't know its exact molecular structure, but it's ultimately a kind of a simple material in a, right. in a, in a way, I guess. Natural, natural oil. But it that, has a... It would be processed down into right. motor oil. And it yeah. just also has a uh, molecular structure. It's going to be bigger mm-hmm. than just H2O, but... Right. And the same is with plastic. Uh, ultimately, plastics are, are complex... Uh, what is it? Poly something. Goddamn. Uh, like I mean, there's different versions. There's like polyethylene, polyurethane, and yeah, poly all that stuff, stuff which are all derivatives types. of oil. So They're, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then pl- okay, but then plastic doesn't break down like anything. That's true. Um, yeah, plastic is a that's a that's a difficult one. Um, so I guess I don't really know what the the core of plastic really is. I mean, some of it is like silicon based, right? I think so. Yeah. Is that right? And then oil based, like you said. Um, and then, would you argue that there are uh, materials that might fall into like a middle ground? Two examples, you know, some that are more arguable one way or the other. One I thought of was carbon fiber. Because wow. let's ignore the fact that we put like resins and shit to make it cured, but just yeah, talking yeah. about the fiber strands, they're just carbon. All that really is is a manipulated version of a an element that occurs naturally, right? I don't think the molecular structure of a carbon fiber strands any different than carbon any other carbon molecule, right? I don't think it's in a different form. I don't think so. It's just arranged differently. The same way that, um, you know, carbon from like a burned piece of wood, carbon Uh on a molecular level is going to be literally like arranged in a particular way. And the carbon molecules that are in a diamond are part of the the reason diamond is so strong is because of the way the molecules have weaved together and, and are, and are strong. So, they're the same thing, basically. Mm-hmm. Diamond and you know charcoal Just and wood. Different arrangement. Yeah, but, but they've been I don't processed. Think carbon fibers are ever going to be occurred like that in in nature, right? I was good. So. I was going to bring that up. Maybe, it, what would you say if I said that if it doesn't occur in nature, it's man-made? But again, man-made um, is the, probably the wrong term. Man-influenced is certainly the. Yeah, I guess that's where. Because yeah, carbon fiber think, is not going to show up in nature. No, it's not. And I think that is a, a good way to maybe make the distinction is 
can I go outside and just find it? Yeah. You know, naturally occurring. Um, but I think if you look at it a little deeper, even some things, like we said, that are, are man-influenced are natural of their core. Also, the, uh, the processes, like I'm thinking about heat. We use heat to mm-hmm. make a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Heat's not ours. We didn't make heat up. That's true. Yeah, we're just we're just arranging the specific ingredients and processes right. to manipulate fact, the things that are already here. Which actually taken the charcoal and the diamond thing. I don't know if it's exactly mm-hmm. charcoal that does it, but diamonds are made because the material that is there is being compressed and uh, you know heated at an extreme rate. Mm-hmm. So nature is, in a way, cooking diamonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And we can totally replicate that process, yeah. too. Although, so interestingly that's actually, enough, that's actually a good time. It's funny you brought that up. I don't know why I know this, but I do. Man-made diamonds are not as strong as natural diamonds. And the thought is that um, time must really be some sort of factor that we don't fully... Mm, interesting, yeah. Because, you know, normally diamonds... What is it do. about diamonds? They're strong on the hardness scale, but they're really brittle. Is that the... Am I remembering that right? Um, There's one aspect of diamonds where they're they're not particularly strong. But on the hardness scale, they're strong. Yeah. Is that right? I think it's... Like, you can't scratch them, but you could you could, you could break still break it easily. Yeah, if you had a, if you had a big diamond with, like, a, a pointed top, uh, part of the top and you hit it hard enough on that point, you're going to... I think you, mm-hmm. you're, you are going to break it. So, I think that's the cleavage of the diamond, right? That's what the... Well, the cleavage is the actual fracture okay. profile, I believe, right? You got me. <laughs> we just slammed into the barrier of my uh, diamond knowledge. Or not even just diamond knowledge, my geological knowledge. Yeah, and reached. <laughs> um, that's an interesting... I just This is one I didn't even think about before, but replicating a natural process to the T. Ooh. Is that natural or is that... Like, let's say with the diamonds or... Um, you know, like a lab-grown meat even, I guess you could use that as an example. Like, that item is a copy of what you would find in nature, but the way it was created is not. So is it the is it the design of the item that makes it natural or man-made, or is it the process? Yeah. It all, it all depends. Yeah. The thing is, is I think ultimately there is, uh, it all depends on how much weight you put behind the man manipulation of, of whatever is going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. I keep, well, go ahead. well, I was just, I keep leaning on both sides of the fence. Like it, in terms of the replicating of an exact process, I wanted to, to mm-hmm. say that it, it's still natural, but Technically, it isn't replicated perfectly because we're... I mean, unless we literally put... I mean, in the case of the diamonds, mm-hmm. our replication process is much faster. So technically, there is something different about our process. That's true. But let's say you, you had the diamonds under a microscope and you were looking at them you know, from a um, molecular standpoint. Yeah. And they're identical. You can't tell the difference. 
and then somebody told you, you know, this one we made this way, and this one pulled out of the ground. Are they different? No. I would, yeah. I, I don't think they really are. No. I think I, I hold a lot of weight, I would say, in the design of the, um, of the that. Process. Process, or yeah, the, the, the process and the, the arrangement of the molecules, I guess, at that level. So I started to think about, um, elements and try to go as deep as my brain, you know, is capable of as far as this goes. And because there are, you know, a handful of man-made elements on the periodic table. There's 92 natural elements, but then there are 26. Um, yeah, 26 um, man-made ones on the periodic table that basically you know, are only created with the influence of us, you know, slamming molecules together or, you know, using particle accelerators or whatever it is to manipulate these. And they usually only last for a few seconds or whatever it is, but they, uh, they do exist. Um, but even then, those 26 synthetic elements are still made up of the same protons, neutrons, electrons, quarks, and whatever else I'm forgetting that any other matter or element is made up of, right? Right. Just arranged differently. And I would say, I would guess that they do have to occur in nature, those ones. This is a great one. I didn't, I would have to say that they are not man-made at all because what I, I have to imagine that with our particle accelerator, we're trying to mm -hmm. uh, replicate energies that exist, theoretically exist in other places. And one of those places is either black holes or, uh, when stars collide or explode. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe those elements, it's so weird. The ones you're talking about, if I remember correctly, I think you said um, they like show up like really fast and then they radiate yeah. away yeah, really much. quickly, which is just spooky. It is a little spooky. But basically physics, as we understand it, is allowing this to happen. Mm -hmm. physics being a natural i gotta say they're natural then right yeah. if if the sandbox we're playing in is allowing it to happen <laughs> then it must be natural that was amazing. now the <laughs> the second we manipulate physics itself and and change that but scientific process or you know the the process of how things work at that fundamental of a level then maybe we have a new conversation but <laughs> well, i was gonna say is that did you get out of the sandbox or did you just realize the sandbox is bigger than you previously thought? Definitely that. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Because if you're um, manipulating, quote, you know, true. quote unquote, manipulating physics, uh, are you really? Like, I don't know. I mean, you are, but you're, you're still being, you're still, I, you're being allowed you're to, being allowed to, to make yeah. that happen. Yeah. 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 Fuck. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, God. This is a great one. Yeah, I think we might have just reached the end of that. <laughs> do you want to talk about the other one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I do. Um, and they are related because... Of course. Yeah, definitely, I, definitely. And I think the uh, the design part of it is um, is what's really the, the binding factor between the two. So let's just talk about... Um, well, again, I'll repeat the question. So... Um, 
you know, so if you're replacing, let's say you have a car or any object, and you restore it or replace a certain percentage of it, of that physical object, at what point is it not original anymore right. as a whole? You know, is it now something different? Um, so let's, we'll do it kind of in the same fashion, I guess, and we'll start with restoring a vehicle. So you and I would agree that, I'm sure, if doing basic maintenance, you know, you're doing oil changes, filter changes, things like that, consumables, you would never argue that that car is not original anymore. Right? Yeah, and you just shattered my... <laughs> I, was, I was all geared up to say that the second you touch it, it's not original. But I completely neglected to... I was totally picturing, like, I, uh, I don't know. I put a different distributed cap or something on there. I totally forgot about, like, oil changes and what if you put a different yeah, crush Yeah, well, you got to look at... Yeah. I, I think I look at it as a system, and, and this is why I hold a lot of value in, in saying that the design of something is what makes it what it is, not the material okay. makeup. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm with you now. So... So by changing those things, um, you know, and they're designed to be consumables, so, um, yeah, you wouldn't change the air filter on a Corvette and, and say it's not a Corvette anymore. Right, right. Um, so then, uh, you know, you go one level deeper. Let's say you start doing systems replacement. So let's say you have this Corvette and you swap out the engine it came with that it was designed to have. You Done. take that out and you put something else no. in. Is that a Corvette still Well, for you? of course it's Corvette. Well, okay, so it's wait, a wait, 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 what engine? <laughs> <laughs> what engine? You said, of course. <laughs> what engine am I putting in it? What? Well, let's say I put a Ford V8 into oh, a Corvette. Oh, God. What is it? Not a Corvette. <laughs> is it just something else entirely? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So this is when, oh. this is when oh, it gets really weird. For, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's say I, let's say... The frame rusts out on my Forerunner, but everything else is great. What if I lift the body off, and I and the and the drivetrain, and I take the frame and suspension out, put a new frame, new suspension, and drop the body on top of it? Is it my Forerunner or, or what is it? Now? Is it a is it a OEM? F- yeah, frame? replacement. Everything's by design the same, but I've taken an old frame put in a new one and new suspension that came with that frame a new a new frame that toyota made or a new frame that somebody else made uh no we could say i a new ta- uh frame that toyota made we'll say i got I'm it saying, from it's definitely it's definitely still a forerunner it's still a forerunner i would agree with that yeah definitely uh um, is it the forerunner that it started as you know i was thinking the engine and a few other bits are the heart of the mm-hmm. truck mm-hmm and I was trying to like, but the frame is no small. No, it isn't. And the suspension—that's right, right. no small component. I guess I no. I'm going to say that the frame getting replaced is is part of the heart of the truck. Mm-hmm. So what if you go the other way? What if my frame, drivetrain, suspension are good, and I replace the entire body and interior? Yeah, no, it's too much still. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. So depending and, on what choices are yeah. made, it's still. I wouldn't necessarily fault someone for sticking with whatever version they want to say, you know, you can't call it all original, of course, but right. Right. You know, like if you, I almost, I guess like if you swapped just the frame, Mm -hmm. I guess I wouldn't really have an issue calling it still the same truck. I I wouldn't agree, I guess, but like 
the seat is still the same, the steering wheel is still the same, the engine right. is still the same. Yeah. All the things that you kind of touch and whatnot mm-hmm. are still the same. So that's mm-hmm. tough. And the design hasn't changed. The design hasn't and changed. And if you really think about it, all you're really doing is changing out some metal beams and some points for the other stuff to mount to, yeah. right? It's like Gosh, now I'm regretting my, my answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you can go a little further with this. You'll see people, and this is where I usually argue with my, my friends on this one. Uh, particularly one friend. Um, so <laughs> let's say I go buy, I don't know, a 65 Mustang and it's completely rotted. Yeah, like yeah. the floors are gone. Basically the quarter panels are rusted out. I need to replace virtually all the metal on this thing, cut it all out. Basically what you're doing at this point, if you're restoring a vehicle that's this way, you're basically just using the hard points as constraints to wrap a new everything everything onto so like you what know you those... probably you know where the windshield's supposed to be so you cut out the old one and put a new one in its place and by the time you're done doing all that you essentially have i don't know how much metal do you have to replace before you're like this is not even the same i was gonna ask anymore. what in in that type of i know what you're saying but in that type of mm-hmm. uh situation what are the hard points that actually is there any part that actually stays because why else would they buy, you know, why else would you go buy a barn find and then bring it back and do this? So what parts mm-hmm. actually usually stay in these kinds of situations? Um, I mean, it depends, but like, honestly, I really do see it at, I've never done it myself. I've never taken on something that extreme by any means. So, um, it, I guess it depends on how much is left, but you know, you, you, you kind of use it as your reference point, basically, I guess is the best way I can put it. So like, and then you there just might be periodically... little sections of the rocker panel that are safe or salvageable, but you got to cut out 80% of it okay, and weld but in new metal, but original... you know, by cutting out the old, you kind of know where the new is supposed to go. But right? some original rocker panel is going to remain? Yeah, we, yeah. Okay. There's oh. definitely, yeah, if you buy a car like that, there's going to be some stuff that gets salvaged, but. Okay. Because why else would so, you do it? So, but it actually, right. Yeah. But it leads me into my most extreme example. And this is this is literally done by some people. You buy a vehicle that might be completely destroyed, literally to get the VIN tag. And theoretically, you build the vehicle around that little VIN plate so you can say <sighs> that this is that vehicle. No, You're literally that's buying fabrication. I'd even say the level <laughs> you mentioned previously is also not... Like a resto mod? No, yeah, I'm not even really that too. Mod, I mean, but... if you, yeah, if I buy a '57 Chevy, let's say it's in good shape, but I I resto mod it to the point where it's got new suspension, new engine, new brakes, new interior, it just looks somewhat like a '57 Chevy. Is it? Maybe it has the VIN. I don't know. <laughs> is it a '57 Chevy anymore? I would I would argue no. That's my argument's always been no. It's not. I was gonna ask. Yeah. So you you, where do you kind of draw the line? okay so like 80 the 80 percent rocker panel example let's say parts yeah. of the body survive but i've chopped the roof and i've i've mm-hmm. you know parts of the body are there and but i didn't use any of the frame mm-hmm. i was able to salvage the wheels the wheels i, I kept um, mm-hmm. i cleaned them up but basically so i think if you if you restore it to what it was i would say it is a 65 
it's not Mustang. Not it's not that sixty-five Mustang. Sarah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say. Okay. Now, if you go resto modding something, then all bets are off. Yep. And as far as where I draw the line on that, once you start changing the fundamental systems and the types of systems, like if you change it from a, you know, a car with drum brakes yeah, and solid axle yeah. suspension to, you know, double wish or uh, yeah, double wishbone, you know, coilover suspension right. with disc brakes, then I would probably say you're starting to get into the point where it's not what it was. What if I um, changed the wheels, put new rims on it? Yeah, that's 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 cosmetic. Still the car, okay. Um, yeah, what about yeah. that suspension? I'm trying to think of fairly critical parts. Drum brakes is a good one. Mm. Like if I go and I put a, you know, Toyota V8 in my Forerunner, I'd probably still tell you it's my Forerunner. <laughs> It's just got a badass <laughs> engine in it. It's yeah, it's just got a badass engine. It's it's confusing and that's why it's a good argument. Yeah, it is. So I wanted to I was thinking earlier, the term all original. And I, mm -hmm. I, I use that term because uh if you're buying one of these things, that's gonna hold a lot of weight. Do you know at all like mm -hmm. if I change a distributor cap or a drain plug for the oil pan? Do I break the all original seal? I think the best way to look at it is parts that are consumable, VIN numbered, VIN. Oh, so like okay. the engine block, the transmission. Like if you look at the build sheet, there's going to be certain things that are specifically mentioned, right? It's going to have a certain gear ratio, a certain transmission, certain engine. Got it. Those Got things it. need to be all there. Um, there, yeah. So you know, because a distributor cap is no different than changing out brake rotors. You can't expect. True. I wouldn't want True. a car to have the original brake rotors. No, I suppose you wouldn't. That's a good point. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the kind of the the crux that made me say, okay, I put you know I put my weight into the design of something, not necessarily the material makeup is you can basically go into a magazine and buy all the parts to build. A brand new 65 Mustang for example I can go buy all the body panels I can go buy the engine I buy the, the original design suspension components obviously, but all these parts will be new but they right? will be the design and then I'll assemble it yeah. but it's the design so I would say yes that's a, it's not an. I would say yes it is a 65 Mustang was it created in 1965 yes and no but yeah. it's the design that yeah. counts for me it's tough calling it exactly by like a sixty-five Mustang. It's absolutely a Mustang, right. but the the quantifier, I suppose, of mm -hmm. the number sixty or the year sixty-five. Yeah, whoa, that's ooh, it's kind of weird. It right? is weird. <laughs> it's sixty-five in spirit, absolutely. Right, right. But no, I, I guess you'd have to say definitely. From a significant standpoint, no, it isn't because a true 65 Mustang has seen, gosh, you know, 50 years at this point of right. life. Of life, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, this is a great question or a set of questions. <laughs> <laughs>
So what are some other examples of just things that you might restore? I tried to name a few, like houses. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to replace things, you know, a house that's built in 1700 has probably, um, you know, been through a lot of changes. What, but... are, what are the VIN numbered parts of a house? <laughs> I don't know. The frame, I the guess. Foundation the foundation and the, and and the framing. Frame. Yeah. Everything yeah. else, I think, is off limits or on limits. Fair game, yeah. yeah. Um, Although, what if you start, like, knocking down walls and changing the layout of the house? Yeah. That's kind the, of like changing, you know. The roof? No, the, the roof engine. replaced. Yeah, roof definitely is a consumable. That's so... <laughs> Which is crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I tried to get a little, um, a little out there with it too. Um, how about the water in either a lake or a river? So I've thought about this, you know, the water over time is obviously going in and it's going out. So it's completely replaced. There's actually a name for it that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, is that lake original, you know, in a sense, is it still the same lake after the water that time x is different at time y i think uh what an answer that i I would give but it's also the least fun answer is that this is all immaterial because we don't possess the necessary uh abilities to conceptualize like nature in the right way to even begin to like label these things Hmm. you know what i mean like uh we're too simple i suppose in a way we don't have the right capacities to know what we're talking about. <laughs> but because how do you how do you differentiate as uh, the lake and the water is a great example. Because mm. I, I got to say, no, it's not the same lake. Yeah. Well, it's not the same. That was my original. It's not the same but lake my from second thought, to second. Right. And it wouldn't be a lake if it didn't have an or a stream more actually more solidly. uh it wouldn't be a stream if the water wasn't flowing. Yep. Right. It'd be something so different. You wouldn't you, it? It wouldn't. It would be something different. So for it to be a stream, that's it, part of the system is for the water to come out and, and flow, or come in and go out. So I think you got to almost back up a little bit and look at it on a systems level. A lake is the same way, right? Yeah. It's a stagnant body of water. If I don't replace the. <laughs> I guess there's two categories there. Maybe the the lake is actually not the water. The lake is the basin. Mm-hmm. And the water's just a separate thing. And, and the ecosystem and the, in it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's just passing through, really. Right. Huh. Yeah, I think... Hmm. Um, so, and along those lines, uh, getting real weird with it here you could make the same type of argument for humans right yeah we regenerate we grow we recycle skin hair muscle tissue whatever like the skin that's on the surface of my body right now is not the same skin that was there probably or at least on you know the the outer tissue right no uh, definitely it's all flaked off and you know been renewed but i'd still say i'm you know you who I am, right? So I guess in that sense, it's the DNA. That <laughs> that's our; those are the DNA is our VIN numbered uh, mm-hmm. parts. But you could, with in this day and age, what if I start mm. getting a bunch of prosthetics and fake organs and 
So I think that's kind of what I was getting at the the maybe the the real answer that at least we can give, but also the least fun one is like these labels are not correct. Just not appropriate. Right. right. Yeah. But the the question itself is fun to think about. So Yeah, definitely. Um cuz I, I yeah, cuz you're you're constantly changing. So who you are is a constantly changing mm. thing. It's never frozen in time it's a living thing so right that's true it keeps progressing versus a car car isn't mm-hmm. a living thing so you can there's that's true you can make a stronger argument that it is what it always was mm-hmm. hmm. that's a good point i didn't think of it that way so if i'm making the claim that it's the design that when something is specifically designed, whether it be by nature or humans or something else, that's what makes that thing what it is, not the material makeup. Is there anything, objects or whatever, that occurs in nature that's not been specifically designed? It just is. So if I were to change it, then it's not at all the same thing. Like, is there something that's not, that doesn't have a specific design or an intention? I couldn't think of anything. Depends on how big your sandbox is. Cause if, oh, it's big. If you... <laughs> uh, if you start... Let's say that... I don't know how this would be the case, but let's say that quarks, which are the things inside nucleuses of atoms, mm-hmm. um, among other things, let's say that that's the floor. There is That's actually the last physical thing. Mm-hmm. Um if you start manipulating that again, I think it goes back to that question of, are you being allowed to do it? Or have you actually finally broken an actual rule or was that rule always there to begin with? And I do have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) You could go the other way and say, um, the universe wasn't necessarily designed. Right. It just happened. Right. So, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, I post, you know, part of podcasting is you have to, um, market and whatnot would arguably we could do better at that. But anyway, um, I, I was on Reddit and I, there's a podcasting subreddit. And so I posted ours in there and whatnot. And in our tagline, I said, not responsible for existential crises that may be caused. And I was quite <laughs> pleased with myself for thinking of that and boy did you just like hit hit that on the head yeah there we go <laughs> just put some validity behind that oh claim. man um maybe we should just just leave it oh uh, i mean yeah <laughs> we're not gonna be able to answer it that's for sure but no. that was pretty brain breaking which is i love it yeah those those have kind of been bothering me for a little bit not bothering me but thinking about i think about them on and off so especially the car one just because it's something that's in front of me a lot the design of things too just real i was just gonna you said the dna is our design Mm -hmm. so going back to the living thing i guess you could say that you are who you are and as you always were because your dna doesn't change right i don't think um fundamentally no right. i don't think right, so right. 
No. No, it doesn't. And your DNA contains... Ooh. As you age... I just, I just thought of something. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, for me, the one that I just came up with now was, as you age, is the way mm-hmm. that you age largely in your DNA? Let's say mm-hmm. let's say you never get injured or anything, and you, you age the way that you just age. Is that by design? Your particular... Wait, say, it, say it again. Uh, uh, as you age, as your skin... Yeah ages in a particular way and your mm-hmm. eyes decrease at a particular rate whatever are those rates programmed into the dna thus making you not only who you are as you've always been but you are who you are already like all that aging mm-hmm. and whatnot is predetermined well choices you make affect the way you age Cha-cha. as well right drinking alcohol for example right so okay. yeah good answer which all you know this is uh, zooming out is all part of a natural yeah, process it is, it but, is. but i was thinking i was trying to i was excluding like injury but you're right just natural mm-hmm. habits like mm-hmm. what you do like how much sleep you get what about um manipulating dna which we're able to do oh boy oh boy so dna is able to be manipulated so you could say that nature is allowing it yeah, but yeah you could probably argue that it was never intended to, for us to go in there and start, you know, switching wires. I wonder, I would come at this with, I would definitely say you're changing on a fundamental level what's mm-hmm. going on, so they're different. But, um, I'm pretty sure... It's still, a, it's still a natural makeup of something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure DNA gets, uh, in terms of trying to make a case for natural, uh, instances of this i'm pretty sure radiation has the ability to directly influence the actual dna molecules oh really yeah after a person's developed right Hmm. i'm pretty sure radiation is one of those natural things radiation is natural i would argue i suppose um yeah that it uh yeah so that definitely Hmm. occurs in nature point yeah and like i said it that that dna is not like it's unable to be changed right, I right. just the, when we go in and do it with a yeah i would, I would definitely say but you're, then you're you but then you can just say that you know the methods we've come up with are part of a natural timeline of human development and that's all natural too so true statement we didn't we didn't jesus yeah <laughs> i don't think we've answered anything no we haven't we've, <laughs> we've rambled for 50 minutes about no these are great though this is i love these this is the whole reason. This is exactly why we started this type of podcast. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, I think maybe we should just yeah, leave it there. Definitely. <laughs> uh, WanderingBerryCenter at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter. I suppose in that order. Um, t-shirts on Amazon. Yeah. Yep. Um, email if you want. Yeah. Let us know some of your thoughts on these questions. Yeah. That would be... Uh... Let me know if you think Jif peanut butters peanut butter are real or is it totally fake cheeses too to i want to know if cheeses <laughs> yeah. we already or know cheese, about it's a natural occurrence i i would have classically said <laughs> no me. before today you're right but who knows yeah all right all right y'all thanks for listening